G'day and welcome to The Yarn here on Radio Fodder. I'm Fia Walsh. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the unceded land on which I'm recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Here on The Yarn, we showcase some of the best reporting from the graduate journalism courses here at the University of Melbourne. Ex-Master of International Journalism student David Bogie is my guest today. David, welcome to The Yarn. Hi, Fia. Happy to be here. Thank you. So in August last year, you and fellow student journalist Kate Wong broke a story about China using press trips to counter claims of Uyghur abuse. We yep. know that Uyghurs are, of course, a predominantly Muslim ethnic group native to the Xinjiang province in northwest China. Can you remind us uh, some of the accusations that have been levelled against China in regards to the Uyghur peoples? Right. So, yeah, like, yeah, like you said, the Uyghurs are uh, uh, a Turkic uh, ethnic minority uh, in China, but they're a majority, you know, uh, ethnic majority in Xinjiang Autonomous Region. Um, basically, the Chinese government has been uh, accused of uh, human rights violations in that province. Um, it's been alleged that uh, the people have been refused the right to worship or to wear um, hijab or their traditional clothing. And basically that um, um, several uh, thousands of people have been um, interred in uh, camps that the uh, CCP is calling um, re-education camps. So your story exposed the so-called Silk Road Celebrity China Tours. What exactly are those tours? Yeah, so I think um, the tours have really a dual purpose, both of them being a sort of, um, um, you know, PR thing. Uh, one, which I think is a, perhaps a more minor one, um, is uh, for the Belt and Road Initiative, which is the big foreign policy uh, you know, uh, the idea, the vi vision that's dominating Chinese foreign policy at the moment. And um, so it has that element to it, as well as this element of, um, because see, initially when uh, reports started to come out of Xinjiang that these atrocities were taking place, um, the, the CCP denied it outright, that any of this was happening, that there wasn't any trouble in Xinjiang province. Now um, they've openly, they you know, there's no, there's no more hiding it. And so this is their effort to rewrite the narrative about what's happening in Xinjiang. And so there is an effort where they're basically handpicking journalists, as well as, you know, um, academics, minor celebrities, um, from predominantly uh, uh, Muslim majority countries to tour uh, China. Often they'll go to Beijing and um, uh, end their tour in Xinjiang. And uh, that's often what happens. And they're hosted by the uh, uh, by China Radio International, which is the, the state run uh, radio uh, organization. Um, so, yeah, they basically handpick journalists that they believe will write a favorable uh, story about what's happening in Xinjiang. The tours are heavily uh, supervised and. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if you read the story, you'll see uh, Yazeshi could see through the 
the facade, you know, it was uh, of this tour quite easily, whereas, um, you know, some people were convinced. So essentially a press tour to bring Muslim journalists and among others in the hope that they will refute the human rights claims. Allegations, yes. The human rights violations, allegations against the CCP. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, the, the Chinese government is sort of, they're touching or they're really smart. Um, you know, you should never underestimate uh, the Chinese government. And they're, you know, picking up on a few cues here. You know, um, one thing is that they do have an understanding of this idea of the ummah uh, in Islam, or, you know, this, this idea amongst many Muslims that there's this sort of, um, you know, worldwide uh, Muslim fraternity or sense of brotherhood, sense of family, because you're, you know, fellow Muslims. And so they're trying to, um, because they saw that this was the, uh, the trigger for a lot of Muslims when they heard about atrocities being, you know, um, mosques being torn down, people being refused the right to pray. It was, a, you know, there was an emotional response from a lot of Muslims around the world. And so the Chinese government is trying to uh, make use of those very same emotions by drawing in Muslim uh, journalists to show them uh, this uh, show that, no, there's, uh, the, the Uyghurs are fine. They're doing all right. They're being re-educated in our camps. They're not being uh, tortured or uh, uh, mistreated in any way. So you spoke to one journalist, Sharif Sonbol, who's from Egypt, and it seemed as if the press tour worked on him. Can you tell us a little bit about Sonbol's experience? Yeah, so um, Sonbol at least appeared, excuse me, at least appeared to be very um, convinced by, by what he saw. Um, his exact words were that uh, the Uyghurs have everything. You know, those were the words that we got from him in the interview. Um, basically, he, um, w- when they arrived in Xinjiang, they were taken to um, a marketplace where, um, uh, you know, there was a dance, song and dance routine uh, he even was taken on a tour of the um, uh, state-run um, and I believe state-sponsored mosque. Um, and, I, and there's no doubt that the imam at the mosque would have also been handpicked by the government. Um, but he seemed to think that, okay, yes, situation is, is good. Um, now, I don't know and I cannot speak for him as to whether he had a different opinion um, and but but only wanted to share this, uh, you know, information with us when we interviewed him. I can't speak for him, but um, but it was difficult initially during our process of uh, researching the story to find people who were willing to speak openly about their experience. Because of course there would be a lot of pressure on them and scrutiny from the Chinese government who are expecting them to spout a certain line having come out of these tours. Is that right? Absolutely. They were picked for that reason and the expectation is that uh, they write a favourable account. You did speak to one man who was willing to be a bit more critical, Olsi Yazeshi. Can you tell us what he had to say? Yeah, well, um, you know, Yazeshi was actually the perfect candidate for this program. Uh, He's uh, someone who, at least in his circles of um, uh, academics and history and uh, journalists uh, in the Balkan region, uh, he's very outspoken against the Americans, very outspoken against Western imperialism. 
and uh, and very uh, vocal. But here's the and this is the key thing: very vocal against anyone who he perceives as committing wrongs against Muslims. So you know, for him, um, I think you know, um, seeing what happened, uh, even experiencing what happened in the Balkans, uh, seeing what happened in Afghanistan, seeing what happened in Iraq, um, was he was eager. Um, going in, he was so excited when he got the invitation to go on this tour, and he said that uh, he admitted of his own, you know, he admitted to us that his his purpose was to go there and write a favorable story for the Chinese. But um, he got there, and and I'm using his words. He said, uh, "We saw a Potemkin show." Uh, he was able to see through it immediately. I think he was frustrated with the. Um, the heavily supervised nature of the tour. And he kept trying to have spontaneous interactions with um, the local people, which were, um, you know, which really uh, angered his uh, handlers and the, the people, you know, the people who were taking them on the tour. And um, so I think that, you know, just seeing that he was able to see that, oh, they don't actually want me to, to really talk to these people. And uh, he's even uploaded some really great um, videos on YouTube where um, he's speaking to people in a classroom in one of these re-education camps. And he's speaking in, um, in, uh, in like um, a Turkic language. And you can see that um, he is being understood by, by the Uyghur person that he's speaking to. And but this this man is terrified to respond. You can see the understanding in his face, but he has clearly been told told that he's waiting for the translator to speak in in Mandarin, and then he responds in Mandarin, even though he can. You know, uh, th- there is a language that is intelligible between these two men. So even though Mandarin is not his first language, he's. He's obviously been instructed to speak it and only in Mandarin, yeah. Right. As you as you sort of intimated, it, I found an interesting quote from Yazeshi was that he was really ready to be critical of the West. I like this yeah. quote that you give from him where he says, China is doing what the British and Americans do. They're producing fake stories in the service of their imperialism, end quote. So with that kind of in mind, how do we know what to believe in this story? If, is there sort of fake news on both sides? Yeah, powerful people are always going to put out news uh, or not even news. Powerful people are always going to put out information um, that serves their purpose. That's sort of the general rule of thumb that I use whenever I uh, look at anything, whenever I ask myself, who do I believe in the story? I think that um, you know consumers of information should consider the power relations of the people you are looking at, and generally, uh, just I, maybe the way I've been raised or the way that I've been taught is to be suspicious of the people who are in power because they will go to uh, very extreme lengths to maintain their power, very creative lengths to maintain their power. Were there any consequences for Yazeshi after he spoke out against the Chinese? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the uh, Chinese state-run Global Times uh, put out articles that were completely slandering his integrity as a journalist and his integrity as an academic, as a historian. 
And um, he even alleged that uh, officials from the uh, Chinese embassy in Albania approached him and uh, basically instructed him, look, you better stop uh, spouting all of this stuff about uh, Xinjiang. It'll be better for you if you remain quiet. And we can imagine that other journalists who had been on the tour would see this happening and be particularly reluctant to speak out afterwards. Very probable. One analyst in your story describes these press tours as part of China's information warfare strategy. What does this mean um, and does it seem like it's working? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, what's happening here is who is going to take control of history? And um, uh, I think, you know, again, the CCP is extremely smart and should never be underestimated. I think that, you know, the, the Western world has underestimated uh, Chinese capacity uh, for a long time and now they're paying the price for it. And um, because, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party has recognized that, you know, some two thirds of the world is fed up with having history manufactured um, and written by their former colonizers. And, um, you know, so of course they're very happy to sweep their own imperialistic tendencies to one side and really uh, egg people on by saying, um, how can you, you know, toe the line of your, the people who enslaved you for all these hundreds of years. And so, you know, they present themselves, uh, they are presenting themselves as the natural default counter to uh, Western power and hegemony. So I think that's what, you know, information wars means now. Um, as I said earlier, uh, powerful organizations, powerful people will always use information um, in a way that benefits them. And with uh, China as, you know, people talk about China as a rising superpower. It's no longer rising. I think it's a risen superpower. And um, yeah, they're going to fight this battle just as, um, you know, uh, it's being fought here in Australia. It's being fought all over the world. Here on Radio Fodder, you're listening to The Yarn. I'm Fia Walsh and my guest today is David Bogey. David, let's take a little bit of a look at your reporting process because as we've sort of intimated, China is not known for its transparency. So how did you find this story? Ah, okay. So actually... Um... We had a starting point, and that starting point was really uh, Louisa Lim and Julia Bergen, um, who are amazing journalists and uh, who had done a report in 2018. They published the report um, on um, Chinese uh, global, what they called a global um, propaganda campaign. And, you know, uh, which was really exploring what we were talking about earlier about how uh, China is really making a concentrated effort to get journalists from around the world on their side. And so um, initially the starting point was to do a follow-up story to the initial report on Chinese uh, global um, propaganda. And, um, so the resources from the, uh, from the initial report were sort of our starting point where we were going through those things. 
And while, yes, China is not very transparent about what they do, but they are very good at keeping records that indicate what they do. Even if the, the full information is not there, there are always records of things that have happened. And so um, Kate Wong, who was, um, you know, she's a, a, a from China, a native Chinese speaker. And um, so Kate, as part of the research, was basically trawling through um, Chinese government websites uh, with certain keywords in mind. And we stum literally stumbled across these uh, celebrity Silk Road tours. Wow. So this is an international story and you have sources from around the world. I'm, I'm sure it did help that Kate is a native Chinese speaker, but I'm sure there were also challenges here. What did your investigative process look like? Well, <laughs> a lot of crying. No, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of, um, you know, just looking to find names, any names that could vaguely have any information about this and contacting those people, trying to squeeze as much out of them as possible, at least get another lead from that person and then go on to the next lead and then try and build up your information. And you really do turn into this crazy person, you know, like that meme of, you know, with the, the papers and string all around the wall, uh, trying to put these things together. Uh, it really does turn into that. But um, also, you know, security was something that we definitely had to keep in mind. Uh, all of the participants in this research were certainly taking a risk, um, you know, having pub to, to publish this material, not least Kate, who's, a, um, who's Chinese, uh, took a huge risk in uh, participating with this. So, um, you know, we did our level best to uh, make sure that our communication with the people that we interviewed as well as between ourselves was happening over uh, a secure line or through a secure connection. You spoke to people with quite different interpretations of the truth or at least the truth that they presented to you. We don't know whether that was um, under pressure from the Chinese government or not. You spoke briefly about this before, but how did you work out what information could be trusted? Yeah. So like, I, yeah, uh, you generally have that rule of thumb that I, that I always keep is, you know, you examine the power relations of the people you're discussing and generally be suspicious of the more powerful party. Um, also, we, you know, we reached out to experts in the field, um, uh, people who have spent their uh, life's work uh, studying the region, studying the um, uh, Chinese politics uh, and how the Chinese government operates. These are people who um, have credibility and their credibility is the work that they've done. Um, now, for us, uh, having put the story out now, it, it, you know, again, it's on the, um, the, the, the consumer to believe what we've published or not. You know, that choice is still theirs. Um, you know, our job is to try and put out both sides of the story. That's why we had um, uh, Sharif Sonbol's um, side of the story where he felt that, yeah, I went on this tour and I saw the Uyghurs and they seemed to be doing well. They were chilling. Right. And on the other hand, we saw we have someone who was like, no, 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 it was all a farce. It was all a farce. So now, the, you know, you may have an indication of how we as reporters feel about the situation. But for you as a consumer, of this uh, media, the decision of what to believe is still yours. And the responsibility 
is still yours as a uh, consumer of information to get your information from various sources, just as we did our research to, to come up with this, you know, users, uh, information consumers should do the same. I have to say that is something that I did really like about your story is that this is such a contentious issue, but it remained really neutral. It was up to me to make up my own mind at the end what the takeaway message should be. And I have to say your reporting really paid off because you and Kate won not one but two awards for this story. You won the 2020 Aussie Award and the Democracy Watchdogs Award for Student Investigative Journalism. So a big congratulations to you for that. Thank you very much. And a massive, massive shout out, obviously, to Kate Wong, who was absolutely central and instrumental in the creation of this story. And of course, um, uh, Louisa Lim and Julia Bergen, who, who led us through this entire process. And it was, it was fantastic. David, where can our audience find you? You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lee Bogey, L-E-E-B-O-G-I, or at davidbogey.com. Great. David, thanks so much for coming onto The Yarn. Thanks very much for having me, Thea. It was a pleasure. David and Kate's story, How China Uses Muslim Press Trips to Counter Claims of Uyghur Abuse, was published on the UK's Observer and at thecitizen.org.au. Big thanks, as always, to Mark Yin and Rose Gertzakis and the rest of the Radio Fodder team. Till next week, I'm Fia Walsh.